You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. What is happening? It's You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Hey everybody, it is Friday morning, and that means we are on the AME Drive time. I'm very excited for you guys to be here with me today as we are going into work to close out the, the week and start our weekend. And I got some great stuff for you guys today. We have a couple of great interviews. I think you guys are going to really enjoy these guys that we have coming up. And we're going to be talking about some other things that I think is going to be a pretty impactful speech here and, and something to think about. So, with all that said... Before we get into any of it, please go to our website, www.theamemagazine.com. Check it out anytime you want. Go up there and be inspired. You know, we got a lot of things to inspire you with. Plus, while you're there, you can find out all the things that we've missed and all the things that we have coming up. You can also get a link to every one of our social media networks, so you can like us, follow us, whatever it may be, uh, whatever the terminology they use today. It doesn't matter. Just do it. And we also have links to our apps. So we have one for our iPhone and the Android platform. So check that out. Download it. It's free, and it's a great way to keep in contact with the AME experience. Now, we also have a newsletter. If you guys are interested in that, all you have to do is go to our website. You can go to the radio page, I believe. It's uh, theamemagazine.com forward slash radio. And it is right on the, um, the homepage. It's under the uh, Contact Us, I believe it is. Let me check it. Yep, Contact. So if you go to Contact, and there's, it'll drop down a little box. That's all you got to do, and you can sign up right there. Also, um, we have coming up today, we have Lauren Weissman. And what's really cool about what he's talking about is he tells you how to market and brand yourself correctly. You know, there's so many ways that we can make a mistake, but doing it the wrong way can have significant cost, not only with production and and, uh, the way that you get yourself out there, but monetary cost as well. So he gave us some really interesting information I think you guys are going to really need to look at, especially if you don't have a big budget, because you can do it for really nothing, but yet still have a big impact. Then we have Marshall Hilton coming on. He's a legendary actor with over 30 years experience. He is talking about his brand new feature film called Primal Rage. It's a Bigfoot story, and it's an Great story. I saw the movie, and I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy this. It's going to be in theaters all, all across the United States here in a, in a couple of weeks, and um, we're really excited to be able to talk to him about it, and his career, of course, because you know he's passionate about what he does, and that shows in his acting. Trust me. I know you guys are going to really enjoy this interview. Also, in the uh, art and entertainment news, we lost Reverend Billy Graham. He was 99 years old, and you know, I made, I made something... I made note of it a couple of weeks ago that um, I went into and I went into the store and saw the Inquirer, and they always say, "Oh, Billy Graham is like three months to live." Well, you know what? I realized that one day they were going to be right, and they were. This time they actually were right. He had less than three months to live, and that was the last time I seen it. So um, they they finally got it right, but it only took him five years to do it. But anyways, Billy Graham is an incredible icon in the religious field. He's been with uh, many, many presidents. He's done some incredible work across the world. He's spread God's love, and he is truly a amazing human being. It's, it's sad to see him go, but he lived an amazing life. I mean, 99 years, that's a long time. So I'm really sad that he unfortunately passed away, but I know he's going to continue doing God's work in heaven. So we wish the, the Graham family all the best, and um, that there that the sorrow doesn't doesn't sit long, because I know that's not what he would want. He's up he's up in heaven rejoicing with God, and I know to, for him this would, should be a celebration, not a time for mourning. Okay, so you know I've seen some things going on in the news that kind of shocked me a little bit, and I've been seeing I've been it's, it's basically like propaganda. And I, 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 you know, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. They proved that this stuff was faked and staged, yet people are going ahead 
and supporting this, knowing that it was a lie. You know, th- there's, there's a difference between the truth and a lie, obviously. But when you embrace a lie, that's never anything positive. It doesn't bring anything constructive to the situation. All it does is enable these outlets, these media outlets, and everything else to continue doing what they're doing, even though it's harmful. If we stand up and reject the propaganda as we see it and as we find it out to be true, you know what? Things would change. Things would change for the better. We are demanding change in this country on different levels, you know, from politics to money to the way we live. Yet we're doing, yet we're embracing the things that make it bad and portray a negative impact on this country. That doesn't even make sense. I'd like us to just stand up and, and fight for the truth. And if you know that there's something out there that's wrong, even if, you, even if you don't like the person, you don't like the situation, but you know that it's a false narrative, that we speak out against it. Because the truth will win in the end. And lies only breed dysfunction. It does not provide a strong foundation for us to grow from. And if a true and if a situation is bred from lies, it's only going to be a bad situation later on down the line. It's a bad situation now. I'm really compl- I'm really just completely blown away by the naivety that's going on out there today and the hypocrisy that we would sit there and choose a situation that we know is screwed up, set up to destroy and separate rather than embrace the truth. I don't know. That's just something I'm saying. I saw a a bunch of stuff out there. I'm not going to be pinpointing things because some of it's political, some of it's not political, but I don't want to get into any of that. I just want us to know that the situation's screwed up, so if you see the truth, embrace the truth. Even if you don't approve of the situation, you know know it's not going to help you with your your message towards the way it's going to be. We have to accept and, and at least support the truth and work to find a way to make our ideas cut to fruition as opposed to embracing a lie to do it. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have the mastermind of marketing and branding, Lauren Weissman, coming on, and he's going to tell us how to do it and do it effectively. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Do you love horror, the strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. (laughs) Your time hasn't come yet, baby. You've got a lot of dreams to go. Your time hasn't come yet, baby. Hey guys, it's Jason Dowd and I got a special announcement for you. You know, it's hard to believe, but 2018 marks the 50th anniversary of Elvis Presley's Speedway. Co-star Victoria Page Meyerink will be making personal appearances throughout the year, sharing her memories of Elvis. Visit Meyerink.com, that's M-E-Y-E-R-I-N-K.com to find out where or to host a screening or Speedway event of your own with Victoria. She's going to be bringing candid, special behind-the-scenes memories of working with Elvis. Again, to find out how you can have your own personal screening or Speedway event with Victoria, just go to Meyerink.com, M-E-Y-E-R-I-N-K.com. The little boy next door who only makes you sore is going to someday turn your head right now. Hey, this is Cherish Lee, and you are listening to AME Radio with Jason.
Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have on the line with us our special guest. His name is Lauren Weissman. He is a brand precision marketer, and he's talking to us about getting ourselves out there, getting our brand out there, which is so important for anybody in any business, but it's also extremely important for artists everywhere. So this information, I know you guys are going to need to sit down, take notes, and really study this because it can really make or break your your dream. So welcome to the show, Lauren. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. Nice, uh, nice afternoon down here in Florida. Not sure where you are again. Uh, yep, I'm in Florida too myself. I'm in the oh, Tampa Bay Florida, area. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> so yeah, it is a nice day, isn't it? It's it's uh, the weather hasn't been so uh, bipolar as it has been in the last couple weeks. <laughs> been noticing that. Yes. Thank goodness. So you know, I was talking about this for. I talk about this a lot. You know, brand marketing is extremely important, especially when you're when you are a. It doesn't matter what business you're in, but when you're an artist, it's it's even more important because a lot of the times we don't have the big money to spend on commercials and advertising and everything else to get our stuff out there. So, you know, marketing your brand, getting getting to understand how to make your brand is very important. And um, I love what you're talking about. So kind of give a give, give an idea of how we can create a brand for ourselves that will be marketable out there without necessarily costing an arm and a leg to do it. Well, I mean, the number one element is the authenticity. It, it, it can't just be a sell about the given product or the single that you're dropping. Because most of these people that talk about dropping singles, what the way it ends up happening is that you know, the song drops. I mean, it doesn't have to go with illegitimate hype. The brand of any band or any artist is them. And when that brand is put together with a one-liner, a tagline, the protection online, the security of making sure whatever your name is, that you have all those social media sites, you have the .com, the .org, the .net, mm -hmm. that you have this array so that when people are looking for you or something like you, it points at you. And then from there, adding those elements about what the story is, where the songs came from, and keeping this mindset of intention versus perception with your audience. When, that, when you keep in that awareness level of realizing that the intention of the art that you've created, the love that you've made, the, the, this thing that you're putting out there, if people have heard it all before from a marketing standpoint, and you make it just a little bit more different, a little bit more yours, that's when the people listen. Mm -hmm. So, what is what goes into like let's just say let's just say you're you're a painter or something like that. What goes into a brand? You know, um, obviously the sound and stuff are, are, is for is for art, uh, the uh, musicians and stuff, and you know their, their type their style of music. What's it for like for other people? What what goes into a brand? A brand is more psychological than it is the physical elements. Of course, you're going to want your logo, and that logo that should look great on a pen as it does on a poster and everywhere in between. Then, then you have the typeset, that typeset that recognizes, I mean, people make the joke about it all the time, but Metallica has a great typeset. You don't even need to necessarily see, I mean, if you saw any other words spelled in the Metallica typeset, you know it was Metallica. Sure. It, it, it's, it's all those little pieces that line us in. And then the tagline, the one-liner, the bio, and not rewriting or, re or, or you know, redirecting the ship every time somebody asks for a new one. The continuity and uniformity inside of a brand and that constantly compounding saves a lot more money than all of these people that spend way too much on advertising. And a lot of these big artists who say, well, I don't see that one line or I don't see that tagline. Oh, it's out there. They just got the money, the finance, and the backing so they didn't have to stay with that brand as much. I mean, if you, you have access to $2.5 plus million dollars, and you want to just go with more of an aggressive, overly dominant campaign, go with it. But at the same time, people like P. Diddy, there are a lot of these larger scale producers are realizing without the brand, with the oversaturation of social media and everything out there, it is harder to be seen if you're not putting together all the pieces. And the brand ties into the videos that you create, the, the blogs that you write, the photos that you put up, and these have to go beyond selfies, as well as the links that you share and everything in between. That's true. So, you talk about moral and engaging social media appearances. Uh, this is probably extremely important. And you know, I kind of talked to you before about this. It, it's it's really fun the way that you came up with an idea of how to do this. So, what are some of the things that we can do that's moral, engaging, 
and yet it's effective in social media because everything out there can get so you know washed out really because there's so many people out there everybody's tweeting something or or putting something on Facebook so how do you how do you keep your stuff you know like you said moral and engaging well you know it's it's not by copying the models that have nothing to do with you i mean the the, the david burns and the billy corgans that explain social media like they're experts in it are the furthest thing from it they're experts in music but they both had their fame prior to music and if you emulate some of these people that had that fame before already had the, the notoriety then you're you're copying a dangerous model I mean, you could sit there and go to a, you know, you'd go to a Maserati clinic and spend a whole bunch of money to watch someone how to tune up and really make your Maserati great. But if you're going home to a Kia, you spent a lot of money, you didn't really learn anything you can apply. Same thing goes to social media. It's not the right time to post. It's not the right uh, site to be on. It's constant, authentic, moral engagement. Tell the story before you share the sell. So as opposed to buy my album, like my song, add this track, or all those crowdfunding, you've got to give to this, you've got to help us do this, you need to. These are all overly dominating pressure points that people are feeling from so many different bands. When you flip the switch and say, this is where I come from, this is the town, this is where I wrote this song about. I don't know if you've ever been here, but for this particular song, it was written about this this area out in, I don't know if anybody knows Massachusetts, but it was the old Riverside. And Riverside, just outside of Boston, was where the old peas were stored before they made it nice. You, you bring people into stories. You ask them questions. You continually engage them by hitting the three audience mark. And the three consist of the people that love you the most and already bought your music, bought your merchandise, to the people that have a little bit of familiarity with you but haven't crossed over to the people that have no idea who you are. And if you are constantly marketing each day with the consideration of those three audiences, all of those three audiences will grow for you into that fan base. Mm -hmm. You know, I really like that idea, and it's fun. And I could see why people would be more opt to go ahead and, and respond to it or check something out because, like you said, there's no pressure. I mean, when you keep saying, you got to, you got to, this, you know, hottest hottest single out in the, on, the, on the charts right now. Well, obviously, that's probably not the case because if you look at the billboard number one and that song's not there, probably that's you know, <laughs> not the hottest single out, out there. But for you, it's the hottest signal, uh, signal, single out there or hottest piece of artwork out there. So, um, you know, I, I, think, I think people can see through, the, through the, the BS, I guess you could say. You've hit it, I mean, you've hit it right on the mark. You've got to consider that these people... Your fans and potential fans are much smarter than you think they are. And in that smart, or in those smarts, they've experienced so many other bands telling them the exact same thing. So instead of you trying to be impressive and being something that is not you, that is inauthentic, and you're trying to, you're, you're trying to take it from a standpoint of hype, you immediately set off the red flags. You turn people off. And in turn, you turn them away to the point that they're saying, I don't want to follow this. I don't need this hype. I'm bored by it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, if you are not truly engaging from who you are, what you're about, the stories that you are, then no one's going to stay in touch. And then this goes to the existing fans. To have a fan sit there and buy something, and then all you do is talk about selling to people that haven't bought it, you've turned that fan away. That person is going to block you, unfriend you, unfollow you. Mm -hmm. Now, if you continually share with them, Different stories on the tunes, what it was like in the recording studio. Not, not those pictures, and I am so sick of, here's my office for tonight. Look at me in front of this big audience. <laughs> How does that relate if you're, in, if, if you're playing in Minnesota and someone's in Los Angeles? It's boring. Okay, great. You have a big, oh, you're playing out there. Where can you add a flat Stanley? Is there a bobblehead of you? Is there an album that you can do? My second book was my flat Stanley. When I toured around, I did 63 cities in 73 days. I spoke to humongous audiences. I spoke to five people at one point. Throughout all of these, my book was the background. And, my, and the backdrop of the book, it was fun. It was, here we are in San Francisco. My book is afraid of heights. It's trying to walk out on the Golden Gate Bridge, but it's too scared to. It flipped the switch from, look at us, we're in San Francisco now, buy my book. The close on there was, if you're anywhere near San Francisco, 
this is where I'll be and this is what I'll be talking about. This goes for the gigs, too, when you're on the road or you're touring. Most of your fans, the majority, we're talking 90-plus percent, are not going to be able to see that show. So when you're advertising that show, and for any of the listeners that are listening to this that are musicians, stop just layering your social media with your gigs. It pisses everybody off. They might not be telling you that, but it does. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say you're playing some amazing venue. Open up with, this venue started at this time. The police played here in 82. This was this. Right near here is a famous blah, blah, blah. And if you're in this area, we're here tonight. Now, that post that before was worthless because all it's hitting is this you know, limited audience that's in that area. You as a band become this, this informant. This fun thing about sharing about things about the past, things you wouldn't expect. The beer can house that's just outside of Houston. You don't have to take a shot of the Houston audience. You can say, this is really cool. This is the beer can house just outside of Houston. And when the guy halfway through stopped drinking beer, he went to 7-Up. So it's part of the beer house and the 7-Up house. Here's a link to where it is. Now people might be traveling through and they see that. That's the engagement that gets musicians marketing further for cheaper. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I noticed, even with me, and I'm always trying to find ways of getting more people to my social media networks and stuff like that. And it's hard. And I've noticed that Facebook severely limits your ability to, if you have a page, to get people to see the posts that you posted to begin with. But also, they don't make it easy for you to get people on there as well. You know, I, I try sharing stuff on from my page to my uh, profile, and it's not always the easiest thing to do. But I also don't want to have to do that because I want to keep it separate. You know, I mean, sometimes there's things that I post on my personal my personal site that I don't really want to have on the you know associated with with my with my business sides and you know my art sides and stuff. So, what, is it worth paying the money for all these broad for all these advertisings to advertise these posts? Uh, does it do you any good? And is it good quality people that it's attracting? Because I know that's important too. You don't want to pay five ten dollars to get a post out in front of people that it's just a whole bunch of bots, but it makes it look like it's, uh, it's, good, it's good response. So what's your, what's your take on something like that? Absolutely not. I, I, mean, when you, it, I mean, you just said it yourself. Great. I got 20,000 likes or 2,000 likes, but I haven't, heard, I haven't seen any conversion of someone coming to see me. This, this concept of people fighting to be seen and creating this piece of content that's just going to lift them into the, in the atmosphere is a lot is too passing it's weak and submissive it's expecting something to change on a given website that you don't have any control over the better point is to put up for one better content and to make it from a standpoint of a marathon not a race mm -hmm. to get all these people to get all these people there at the same time facebook in all the hype of the algorithm from the last couple of weeks there's some interesting information coming out in the next three months, and I am not at, I'm not at the place where I'm going to state it. I know it all to be true, but I'm doing a lot of due diligence and double-checking. But from people I know at Facebook, from people I know at Google, from people I know at Yahoo, a lot of stuff is shifting. Unfortunately, it's shifting to some of the stuff that I tell people on social media to practice, which to give the basics, to push this silly thing makes it closes it up, to push the engagement and the story. Social media, from an advertising standpoint, is going back to stories. So if you continually create stories and then allow for someone not just to capture your page or come across your page, but then be able to scroll down and stay interested. How many, how many artists out there listening, when you scroll down someone's Twitter page, Twitter feed is a musician, it's just next gig, next gig, boring this, buy this, buy this. I don't want to follow that. Mm -hmm. And you don't either. So why be that? Why put that out? The more that you have an arsenal of engaging content, the more people are going to connect with you. And it's less of the worry about stating, I need to build up this, this, this group of people. I mean, maybe they're following you on Twitter. Why do you need to make them follow you on Facebook? You don't win a prize. And, and, it, and at the same time, if somebody follows you on Twitter, thank them and leave it at that. Don't sit there, okay, well, they follow, you, you follow me on Twitter, so go follow me on Facebook which way too many people do. It's, it's like they're just giving you this action of opening up and checking you out. And the first thing many musicians, and they don't mean this intentionally, I believe, is that they're saying, okay, give me more. 
Mm-hmm. Give back. Give back with the content. Give back with the engagement. Give back with the stories as well as samples of the music and everywhere in between. And you're going to see people. You're going to see people connect that much more. Right. Yeah, that's see, that's that's good information to know because I mean, you want to be able to you know get people to these pages, but you also don't want to um, spam it either. And I know I know a little bit about spam because I know one of my friends. He has a he has a a, a YouTube channel, and he bought he bought likes and he bought you know people to uh you know go to go to his his videos and stuff like that and they caught it and and suspended him so that's another thing that you got to kind of watch out for i mean it's great to have people come flying out to your place and it looks great to everybody else that doesn't understand it but these places watch for stuff like that oh yeah and, and at the same time do you really want the fan i mean you have to think about this too do you want the fan that needs to see that you have a million followers because, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. I, I, I specifically, and people laugh about this, I, I specifically will tell people, you don't have to like my posts. And if you do like my posts, you're probably going to get other marketing stuff that's sort of close to this. So if you don't want that and you just want to come and engage, I invite you to enjoy them and I don't want anything in return. You can go through a lot. And, and at the same time, I tell people, okay, you follow me on Twitter. If that's where you like to connect, just stay there. I'm still going to post the links to the blogs from Twitter, the links to the YouTube videos there. Maybe that's the only place where you want to connect. When you respect that fan base in that way, they stay that much more engaged, and in turn, they sit there and look out for them. I've been, I've been on a couple conferences where I, you know, there was a guy that I came back and he goes, you know what, I, you know, I, was, I was going to bring you in to, to, to speak at this other thing, um, but you, know, you only had 6,000 followers here, and we brought in these people that had 20,000 or 50,000. I said, look, you need numbers. Go look at my Alexa ranking. Those, you can't, you can't fake Alexa. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, from that standpoint, my, my, my ranking, this one person had 250,000 followers on, uh, on Twitter. And it was clear that they all bought them. But the guy had a 16 million ranking on Alexa. I said, go check out mine. At the time, mine was 750,000. So he's the 16th millionth website in popularity. I'm down at 746, mm-hmm. with 746,000. So right there, and then it was like, okay, no, we do need to book you. And it's sad that certain people see that, but if anybody hits one of these bands and says, hey, you know, you don't have enough followers, well, let me invite you to check out the fans that have purchased and what they do and the way that they spread the word about us. It's authentic. So maybe you're going to go hire someone that has 20,000 followers, but if you have 200 true people that are going to make sure to get every word out about that event, that concert, that's a lot better of a result. That's true. So we got just a few minutes left. Tell everybody the top three things they, that they need to keep in mind when they're working with their social media and brand. Number one, like I said in the beginning, intention versus perception. While it may be coming from your heart, while it may be true, while you may be saying you do feel innovative, unique, different, or new, never been done before, stay away from those words because too many people that are not those words use those. Mm-hmm. When you're po- Second, think about the three audience tactic. Think about, okay, great, yes, this is going to be good for someone that has no idea who I am, or maybe it might be good for someone that doesn't know who I am and someone who might be a little bit familiar. But is that still going to work for the third audience and the people that love you and know you? Is it still going to respect them? If it's not, it's not the most effective post. Number three, get away from the hype of or dropping a single to show off this ego. Flip that and exchange it to the mindset of how can they engage about your history, your past, your relationships, the things that you love, the things that you hate. And I'm going to throw in a number four here just because opinion. Mm-hmm. Preface with opinion. You are in the world of art. Art is subjective. Subjective is opinion. Get away from telling people what sucks. This band is crap. <laughs> you you be, be free to say, I don't like this band because what bands do you like or what bands don't you like? Or if somebody comes at you negative, if someone leaves you a negative review, share it. Share it and be the bigger person to be able to say, this person apparently doesn't like this sound you will stand out and you'd be amazed at the prom- the great promotion that both authenticity, having morals, and allowing someone else to have an opinion as opposed to, well, you suck. 
prefacing the art with opinion, considering the three audiences, keeping that intention versus perception alive, and thinking about how you're communicating, this sets for a sustainable and successful career. I like that. Well, tell everybody how they can find you, how they can follow you, and if they need any questions that you'll be able to answer them. How, how can they reach you? You can just search Lauren Wiseman, L-O-R-E-N-W-E-I-S-M-A-N. I'm everywhere, and I've got tons of free videos for you to watch. They range from the music industry to the branding that I do now. There's a lot of information that's completely free. And everything that I've talked about in this interview, all the stuff that I tell people to consider, I practice what I preach. I do it all myself. So get on. Look at the videos if you want. You don't have to subscribe to the channel. Just look at the videos. Look at the posts. You want to connect? By all means, connect. But I'm not, I'm not asking. I'm not directing. But look at how that, is, that format works and use it with your creativity, with your story, to make that format work for you. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Thank you so much for coming on here. This is some great information. I hope people will use it and get quality people to their to their social media sites, their websites, or wherever else they may have. And thank you for taking some time out of your day to come on here and be a be a uh, that that mentor towards us. And hopefully, we'll be able to get you on again and talk about some more cool stuff that you have going on and more cool stuff about branding. Sounds good. You guys have a great one. You too. All right, guys, we're going to go take a quick commercial break, but we'll be right back after this, so don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody, this is Jason, and I have something I want to talk to you guys about. Last year, as you know, somebody in my family suffered a stroke. These things come on unannounced, and it can cost you your life. Why? Because it's usually from high blood pressure or clots, and you don't know you have these problems because it generally has no symptoms. One way to ensure that you don't have high blood pressure is to test it regularly. But who has the time to do it? You have to sit down, strap a blood pressure cuff on, and take the test. And they are bulky and hard to travel with. Now there's a product called Helo LX. The stylish piece of technology not only looks good, but it tests your vitals all the time on demand. Check your blood pressure, see how many steps you've done, see your heart rate, see how much sleep you get, how many calories you burn. It checks it all while you do what you want to do. Then you can check the results right on an app on your phone. I bought it for my family members, and you should too. To get yours, go to amemagazine.worldgn.com and get it or any of their stylist accessories. In doing so, you'll invest in your health and help the AME experience get our word out and be the voice of artists everywhere. So what are you waiting for? That address again is amemagazine.worldgn.com. Hi, this is Serena Palmer from Radio Rebel and you're listening to the AME Radio Show. Sam Cooke singing on the radio You say that I'm the boy Who can make it all come true Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have on the line with us our special guest. His name is Marshall Hilton. He has been doing a lot of great projects along the way throughout his career. And now he's in a brand new movie called Primal Rage, Bigfoot Reborn. I love stuff about Bigfoot. I Everybody knows I'm a cryptzoology crypt, crypt uh, lover, and I'm really excited to be able to talk to him about his movie and everything else he's got in his, going on in his life. Welcome, Marshall, to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here. This is a lot of fun, and I, I love, I love the, the concept of the movie. But before we get into that, though, I really like to you know, get to know the actors or the actresses or the musicians or whoever comes on my show a little bit and, and you know, make it a little bit personal. So kind of tell everybody, how did you get into being an actor, and what made it so special for you to want to pursue this as a, as a career? Um, well, it, it's good. It's complicated. Um. I don't really think that uh, I ever said I'm going to be an actor. I don't think that was a discussion that I ever really had with myself. Um, uh, it's just something that I've been doing for a long time, and I have not been able to, to walk away from it. You know, um, I've been involved with creativity since I was a child, and my first professional gig in the entertainment business was I played the drums on a record when I was in seventh grade. I was a really good drummer. Um, I've always been attracted to things that are not static, 
you know, mm-hmm. I can't do math. I can't sit down and, you know, do that. I'm, my mind is kind of very vivid and very active, and it likes to, you know, be busy. And so between music and film and creativity, I've always had something in my face that uh, distracts me from doing math. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> right. You know, so, um, or anything like that, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, I've been in it for a while. I majored in college in it and kind of, you know, slipped away from it for a minute. Uh, I was theater and music major in college for three years and something hit me and said I got to make some money at some point in my life. And I flipped my major to marketing and selling and advertising, which is another form of creative communication. I did that for about five years and then I transferred from San Diego. I was in Santa Barbara. I, was, I went up to San Francisco. I was working on a master's and I stumbled into a, um, an actor's studio run by a, uh, a lady by the name of Jean Shelton. And, and she has um, come from the, the New York Playhouse West, Strasburg, Meisner, um, you know, that crew of people. Stella Adler was a childhood friend of hers. And so she brought this New York sensibility of theater and craft work. And I stumbled into her place one time. I don't really remember how I got there, but it just hit me right in the face. Boom. Because I was 30 at the time. And I had lived a pretty colorful and, and uh, eventful life. And um, yeah, it was just something that I, I, I needed to be able to tell stories, not just make money. Mm. And so that was the 90s. That was 89, 90, 91-ish in that area. And I moved back down to Southern California, where I'm from. I was born and raised in California, um, uh, about 40 miles north of Los Angeles. So um, it, I just started working, and I just kept working. And and. What kept me going was really just the challenge of it, because mm. it's so freaking difficult. It's so hard um, uh, to try and break through or get a gig. And um, it's you know, if you don't, if you if you suffer from you know criticism or rejection, and you can't handle that kind of stuff, you know, this ain't your game. You mm. know, um, it's it's. So difficult, and even to this day, you know, I, I don't know, I've done like 50, 60 films, whatever it is. Even right now, if somebody, if the phone call rings and, and it's my manager and they said, dude, they want you, I'd still jump up and just go, hell yeah, hell yeah, you know, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's such a challenge yeah. to get to that point, you know, you get the... I mean, some stuff comes to me, and it's an offer. It's from somebody I've worked with before, and they say, dude, I got a role for you, blah, 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 and it's all good. And then other things you have to actually read for. And you know that they're probably getting, you know, 5,000 submissions, you know, and they whittle it down to, you know, 100 and maybe 50, and then it gets, and, you know, and, and you get that thing. It's just, it's phenomenal how that happens, and it's still to this day. That's one of the things that keeps me going, you know, it's the challenge, because um, it is a difficult task. And then once you get to do it, you know, it can be a really good time or it can be hell, depending on who you're working with, the nature of it, what you're doing, where you're shooting, and just all kinds of other things. And you just, you know, you navigate through that, and then you get to meet a lot of really interesting people. You know, um, film sets have some very interesting people on them, and they come from all over the world, all walks of life, you know. um, And I really like that communal meeting the people and getting to know folks, you know, some you just fall in love with and you stay in touch with, some you hope you never see again. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's just, it's just like it's just like anything, you know, every house you go into is not a place that you're going to go, you know, I want to hang out here. Right. You know, um, some places you just go, Oof, I don't want to hang out here. Um, and and so, you, you know, you just, it, it's, it's fun like that, you know. Um, as far as being an actor, all I do is just keep my nose to the grindstone, try and get work. It's what I do. Um, uh, and every now and then something comes across your plate and you go, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. You know, uh, and then stuff tough comes across your plate and you go, eh, done that. Yeah. Eh. Uh, you know, and, you know, it's not about money. It's about, you know, whether or not I can connect with this thing, this person, this idea um, sometimes the story is kind of a reboot, but the character might be just really badass and you really like him, you know, and you go, I want to do that guy, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, that's kind of the long, short story of it. Sure. 
Well, you know, I love I love acting, and there's so many different ways you know that I I like it. I've never been in it myself, but I think for me it would be to tell the story too and get to play so many different people, and you know, be somebody I'm not for a change. And so that's one of the things I love to ask anybody that comes on as an actor or actress. Have you played the role that you had always wanted to be? Like, you know, everybody's got to have something like, man, I really wish I could be that that person or this type of role or have this type of situation. Have you had that yet? And if and if you haven't, what is it? Um, I no, probably not. Um, uh, I mean, I want to play Josie Wales. Ooh. You know, um, uh, you know, I want to, I, I want to. I want to play the the guy that uh, in Unforgiven, mm. you know, sure. um, you know. I, I mean, I there are things that you see, you go, oh man, well, that would be amazing. Oh god, that would be amazing. Um, you, there, I've I've done things where there have been bits and pieces of those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the kind of stuff that I tend to admire, and the kind of it tends to kind of fit my face. You know, um, I'm older now and. My voice is my voice. Um, my the lines on my face are my face, and I, I don't have a mug or a grill that's suited for you know uh, family dramas, lights and fair. Um, uh, I, I I tend to get stuff that's a little more harder, a little more edgier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've done you know hunters and 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 in this one. I was also a hunter. Um, most of the characters I get seem to be more um, either either um, uh, kind of rural urban, uh, rural cowboy um, uh, guys, or I'll get the really high end, super villain, rich, super wealthy elite in a suit, and they're always usually kind of have a an antagonist quality to them, mm-hmm. rather than you know. The, the the hero, per se, um, and they're usually somewhat damaged and beat up and emotionally, you know, struggling with their lot in life. You know, I, I don't know why, but those are the kind of things that I seem to be able to to, to connect with creatively. People see that, and so that's the kind of stuff I usually get cast in. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. You know. What I love about this movie is that it's about a, a, fictitious, a, a fictitious beast, or we think that it's a fictitious animal or beast or half-human, whatever it may be. Now, that's being, that being Bigfoot, do you believe in Bigfoot? I mean, California, Oregon, you know, that has, that, that has the Bigfoot lore all the way across it. What's your take on, on Bigfoot? Um, I had somebody ask me uh, that question from... Uh, the X-Files perspective. They asked me if I was Sculler or if I was Mulder. <laughs> Scully or Mulder, right? Right. Um, and I said, I'm definitely Scully. I'm a, definitely a pragmatic guy, you know. If I can't touch it, see it, smell it, then it'll generally fall onto my radar as uh, uncertain, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, but, you know, you said, you know, California, Oregon is kind of Bigfoot thing. You know, Yeti and, and Sasquatch, is that lower goes, I mean, they have rumors of that in the Soviet Union and yeah. in China and in Tibet, you know, East Asia. I mean, this entity, this spirit of Bigfoot, they've been telling that story around campfires since men were, you know, making tools with mm-hmm. freaking rocks and sticks, you know. I mean, there's always been that, that thing out there. And so, you know, I, I can't say whether or not, you know, it's real or not uh, um, in my head eh, probably not but doesn't matter right you know if, 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 if it's if it matters in your head and you're into it that's all that counts well see you i know? keep thinking that he is the ultimate uh hide and seek player because nobody's ever found him <laughs> so he wins well you know yeah you know i mean where there's smoke there's fire okay nobody's right. ever seen this thing um but uh i think that the way, I mean, you can go either way. You can be very scientific and organic with it and say that, you know, it's a half-humanoid, half-beast, or it's, it's paleolithic, or it's, it's, it's something that, that never evolved but never died, and it was something on our way to evolve from, you know, an ape to a human or whatever you want to do. You can think about it like that, 
or you can be the kind of creative person that likes the fantasy of the story. And and I think that's how Patrick McGee presented um, Bigfoot in this film. Um, this is a very, you know, if you haven't seen the film, um, uh, it's a very unique spin on Bigfoot. It puts mm-hmm. Bigfoot in a, in a very much a different paradigm from anything that you've ever seen before. Uh, the, the closest thing I can compare it to is Predator. Oh, wow. As far as the feel, oh, yeah, for the feel of it. Um, this Bigfoot is intelligent. It's cunning. It's an absolute surviving warrior. Um, it makes tools. It creates fire. Um, it, um, it, it's, it's kind of almost a missing link. Um, and it's a completely different presentation. And it's not shy, you know. Um, a lot of Bigfoot films, and I haven't seen very many of them. I've just seen bits and pieces of them, I'll be honest, you know. Um, uh, from what I've seen, they tend to be a little more shy with, you know, showing you Bigfoot. You know, you see a hand, you know, you see this and that, whatever. Um, this Bigfoot is front and center. Hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, he is, he's very badass. If you see this Bigfoot in the woods, it's probably the last thing you'll ever see. Wow. He doesn't, he's not, he's not running from you. Wow. That's really cool. No. Oh, he, he's, he's, he's intense. I guarantee you, um, after you watch the film, um, you'll probably want to talk about it again. Sure. For sure. So tell me a little bit about your character and what made your character so inviting for you to play this, this, uh, this particular role. Um, it was, uh, you know, I play a character named B.D., basically, and he is the blowhard, alpha male, big fish in a little pond guy, and he's got a, he's surrounded by yes-men. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of liken him to the character that Ben Gazzara played in Roadhouse. Mm. You remember Roadhouse? Yes, Patrick I do. Swayze movie? Okay, and, the, and there was the guy who was the big man in the town, and he was kind of a bastard, and he was a pompous blowhard, and <laughs> everybody, you know? That's that's kind of that's kind of what this guy's like. Um, obviously, he sits in the antagonist role in this film, um, and uh, you know, it, the character wasn't anything spectacularly new in regards to how he fit in the story. This story, this movie, has a very old school story to it. The feel of it feels like it's a throwback, mm-hmm. um, and so it wasn't so much the character. Um, that really just, I went, oh my God. Um, it was the fact that when um, I had met with Patrick at the studio where he did all his creations, um, when I met Patrick and he took me in and he started showing me all the work that he does, I was blown freaking away that his artistry was so good. Wow. Um, Patrick went through the Stan Winston school. He, he apprenticed with Winston. He went on to work with Rick Baker. He had his. He worked on, you know, Predator and Alien, uh, and just all these amazing films. And you know, when you walk into his studio, right in front of you, the first thing you see is the original mold Predator. You see the original mold Alien. You know, you see all these amazing monsters and werewolves and these things that are hanging all over the ceiling and the walls, and. It was just incredible, and then he showed me the concept trailer, and I was like, wow. And then he said, we're going to shoot it in Oregon, and I went, oh. And then he took me back into the back, and he showed me the Bigfoot suit. There was two suits. There was three heads. They were fully animatronic where the faces would move. And I just turned to him. I said, I'm in. Mm. I'm just in. You know, I hadn't even read the script, you know. Um, uh, And then I read it, and I go, okay, I understand what BD's going to be doing, you know. And, And then... Uh, I I like characters that that represent um, an obstacle to the hero, mm-hmm. and they get to and they get to bloviate a little bit, you know. Sure. And uh, uh, those are those are fun to do. They're just fun to do, you know. Sure. Um, and you know, just to try and figure out a way to, you know, and then Patrick and I figured that this guy was probably. He owned the theater, he owned a liquor store, he owned the car dealership, he had real estate, and all his hunters that are in the movie that are part of his clan probably are employees. They work for him, you know? Sure. And so he, he was one of those guys that liked to kind of, you know, sit on the stump and bark at people and tell stories and 
smoke his cigar. He was kind of a dick. <laughs> you know? So, um, uh, and you know, that was that was cool, you know? Plus, being up in the woods, done oh. deal. Oh, absolutely. Not done deal. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, it was an amazing shoot. It really was. So what do you hope that people will take, uh, take away when they see this? What do you hope that they enjoy from it, or what do you hope that they, uh, they feel from it, or, or whatever, whatever you hope that comes out of this movie for them? Well, hmm. well it, it's, you know, it's a movie. It's, it's a fun, escapist, kind of a different twist on a Bigfoot theme. Uh, I think people automatically go, oh, Bigfoot movie, ah, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't believe in that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you know, and there may be that going on. And some people are going to be like, ooh, Bigfoot, you know. There, there's two camps. Um, I think that people should probably kind of go into it with the idea that it's not a horror film, okay. per se. It has elements of horror because it gets gnarly and there's some gore in it, you know. Sure. But this is, this is truly more of an action-adventure thriller. You know, you've got your, your, your young lead couple running through the woods trying to get back home, back to the road, and, and you're in this magnificent, you know, thousand-year redwood forest and, and streams and, you know, and, and, and all this stuff. There's, a, you know, there's chasing and there's the battles. And, but then there's also this Native American Indian slant to the film that talks about the spirit of Bigfoot because the original title was um, uh, Primal Rage, The Legend of Oma. Hmm. And Oma... Um, is what the tribes of uh, the Indian tribes of the Pacific Northwest referred to Bigfoot. They called him Oma, which in their language it was the Hopa Indian tribe. Oma means boss of the woods. Mm -hmm. So there's this kind of this slant that goes on in the story. So it's not just straight, you know, Bigfoot hunting people, killing people. There's more to it than that. Um, it's fun, you know. There's some intense moments. There's no question about it. Uh, but it's truly just just a fun escape, you know, um, and it's, it's shot amazing. The DP, Jay Lee, uh, who was the DP on this film, the film is amazing to see. The way it's, it's shot, it's really good. And the, and, the, and the sound score is amazing, and, you know, the, the special effects are top-notch. So it's got a lot of different things in it. There are parts where you'll go, oh, my God, you know, and you'll go, oh, my God, that is that is gnarly, you know, and then there's some you're going to be going, oh, oh, you know, it's it's just what it is. It's a, it's a fun ride. That's really cool. You know, I love yeah. I love movies like this myself, and, you know, I think for me, I don't know if I completely believe in Bigfoot. I know, I know a lot of people that do believe in it, but I think I would just want to go out there and try to find one anyways, just, to, just for the hunt of it. It's like fishing. You never know if you're going to find anything, but it's the, it's the thrill and, and the fun of just going out there and trying and seeing, you know, you might actually catch something. You never know. But, um, well, yeah, I mean, there's, um, have you ever heard of Forrest Fenn's Treasure? No, I have not. No, there's this, there's this, there's a, there's a, a guy that supposedly buried this, this huge amount of treasure someplace, somewhere in the Pacific North, I mean, in the, uh, in the Southwest, and, mm -hmm. and there's been people hunting for this treasure for years, and there's groups, and there's all kinds of stuff, and there's, there's this thing, I think people were wired, well, humans are very curious. Sure. I mean, our curiosity is what built us where we're at. That's why we have cars, that's mm -hmm. why we have planes. You know, I mean, our curiosity to solve and then figure out a way to use what we've done. And so people have this thing in their head that there's always going to be a space of wonder and curiosity. And if, unless it's proved false, then we're always going to have an idea that, hey, maybe it actually does. And that little energy, that curious energy, that's what keeps a lot of people going. Mm -hmm. you it know? does. Um, but I tell you... Um, when you when you watch this, I guarantee you, you've never seen Bigfoot like this. It's, you'll never see it presented like this ever. This is this is the most unique you've ever seen. Well, I'm really excited to see this movie myself, and I'm hoping everybody else will get a chance to do it. And please tell everybody how they can find the movie or how they can find out anything else that you have going on in your career. Um, the film is going to have a, a nationwide limited release. I think it's about four or five hundred cities. Um, it's going to be a one-night event through Fathom Events, which is a company that's uh, uh, owned by AMC Theaters, Regal, and Cinemark. And they put together these events where they not only feature the movie, but they will also have a featurette behind the scenes 
the making of the movie as well on the same night. Um, it's going to be February 27th. All you got to do is uh, search Primal Rage hyphen Bigfoot Reborn, Fathom Events, or AMC, or Fandango seems to be the place that has a lot of them as well. And just type in your zip code and, and uh, take a look. I know that it's going to be in Florida. I had a couple people down there ask me about it, and I know there's, it's showing in four or five different places in the Tampa area, um, uh, St. Pete, Tampa. So it's, it's down there. You should be able to find it for sure. It's going to be the one night on the 27th at 7 p.m. It'll be, you know, nationwide. And then I think that um, uh, after that they're going to take it to Europe and do a, a, a regular theatrical release. And I'm sure that VOD is on the horizon. It's just a matter of time. Mm. And as far as finding me, uh, social media. Marshall 1L Hilton, like the hotel, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I have a website, MarshallHilton.com. And, um, you know, check IMDb and stuff. And just, just, I got a number. I've got, you know, four or five films that are coming down the pipe this year. Well, that's cool, and I'm so I'm so excited that this is coming out. I'm glad that you that you got a chance to be a part of this this movie, and I can't wait to see it myself. And I can't thank you enough for coming on here and being a great guest. I had a lot of fun with you, and I uh, wish you all the best with this movie. Well, thank you very much, and I really appreciate you having me, Jason. And um, you know, any time you know uh, we can get together and, and talk about other stuff because I've, I've got a few coming down the pipe. Well, I would love that. That's for sure. Cool. All right. Well, you take care. And, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have more, so don't go anywhere. Jason Dowd of Imagination Art Studios is proud to announce the release of his steampunk collection, which is currently on tour across the country. There you will see beautiful handmade masks from Venice, Italy, that accentuate beautiful women to create amazing stories and feelings to those who visit the collection. Each photo series has a theme, mask, authentic props, and beautifully elaborate outfits, all collaborated in the mind of Jason Dowd to create the right emotion and feeling. The masks come from a shop in Epcot at the Italian Pavilion, where all these photos are on display for you to see. This is one of the biggest accomplishments of his career, having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czars. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is Imagination Art Studios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them. Welcome back, everybody. We are about ready to get started on the weekend, so I'm pushing that little red button and sending us into Saturday. I know we are going to have a great weekend, guys, and I have another show coming up tomorrow, so please, if you're able to listen to that one, I know you're not going to want to miss it. We got Daphne Reed coming up from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Shelley Skendrani. She is from The Devil's Arithmetic. She's going to be talking to us about all their things that they have going on. And I am going to be taking my first day off in almost a month and a half. I'm going to Disney World. I'm going to have some fun, and I'm going to relax, something I haven't done in a long time. All right, guys. So if you want to find out where we are on the radio or on the Internet, here it comes. It's every Friday at 7 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time, our drive time show on amfm247.com. You can also find us on the 11 a.m. FM stations across the country that they have. You can find us again, same channel, at Saturday night at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Two different guests, four per show, four guests per weekend. You don't want to miss any of them. Also... We are on WKLAP every Friday at 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are also on Radio Love, that's Radio LUV, every Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Great platforms to be on, guys. You can also find us on iTunes and iHeart. And if you subscribe to them, you get the show a couple of days in advance. So it's like our VIP program. So don't miss us. We want to see you here again next week. So until then, keep those creative juices flowing. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Good night, everybody. That's the end. We're done. Calm down, people.
calm down. Okay, that's it.